I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanta Walker here, and I am so excited about this guest. I actually posted something out asking our podcasters on the network, hey, listen, I really want to do something to do with mental health and comedy. Does anyone know anyone that they could direct me to that would, um, you know, be a great, um, you know, person that might be a part of our network and Sean Conahan with um, UpTalk podcast um, pointed me in the direction of Eric Payne. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Kirsten. Absolutely. Now, I said this before we started <laughs> recording. Your bio is like a scroll of a hundred <laughs> feet. So just a few little highlights. You are a 23-year veteran of the Canadian Armed Forces, correct? Correct. Okay, and you're also a comedian. And tell our listeners what else they should know about you. (laughs) Uh, Currently, uh, I am going through a, uh, a community college to get into media. I'm in a radio TV uh, journalism school. Uh, but what's more pertinent to this is that I was diagnosed with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, due to my service. I've got a tour over in Afghanistan right after 9-11, um, but I wasn't diagnosed till almost 10, 12 years after release. It kind of snuck up on me. And um, But uh, yeah, I, and I've got some uh, childhood trauma in there also. Mm-hmm. So as I said, I've been on the battle wagon for a very long time. And uh, the best way that I find to to uh, help with this is find something to laugh about. Uh, a lot of this is serious. It takes up an awful lot of our time and a lot of effort. And you can just be able to sit down, relax, and have a laugh. Um, it's incredibly helpful. It is. It is incredibly helpful, which is why I want to I want to have a show that, you know, anybody can talk about whatever they want, as long as it's under the mental health 
umbrella, but that need for the comedy piece is so absolutely important. And since all of us on the network have all struggled with our uh, mental health, we can make fun of it. <laughs> well, we can. And uh, one of the other uh, things that I found, I can joke about it more, the better I feel. Yeah. If, if I've true? got, if I've got everything put in its right place in, in my head and my heart, then, then I can kind of laugh. If uh, I'm in a lot of turmoil, there's not much smiling and there's not much laughing unless I just kind of give it all up. Absolutely. Now I was laughing at some of your Facebook posts for your Halloween costume. So you want to share with our listeners some of the things that uh, you're I've taken, um, I'm interested in acting or, or anything that I can do along with that. And as an above me amputee, um, and, and I'll get into the story of how I stumbled across that, uh, pun intended, was uh, <laughs> a friend of mine who is a former uh, sergeant medic with the Canadian Forces is now doing casualty simulation. And he was hired to do that for a new a uh, group of uh, Canadian Forces medics that were going through a paramedic academy up here in, in good old Canada. And uh, he dressed up my, let's use the term, residual limb. <laughs> um, I, I call it a lot of things, but residual limb seems to be the more PC way to go about it. Um, he, he made it look like my leg had just been blown off. Right. And, <laughs> these uh, new budding medics would come in and see me uh, in this veritable state with fake blood around me. And, you know, uh, they start doing what we'll call it their thing. Um, and I'd have a blast. Um, so they're triage training, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the first time I heard about fentanyl because uh, for First responders, you know, when you've got an amputation like that, to control the uh, the amount of um, medication you're going to get, they give you a lollipop, and hmm. they tape they tape it to your thumb, and, and if you uh, go unconscious, the thumb comes out of your mouth and it falls down by your side, so you stop getting medication. That's brilliant, except for the fact, except for the fact, I'm type two diabetic. Oh, jeez, yeah, there's no lollipop for you. <laughs> and then the run of the day, we do about seven or eight of these scenarios. And by the time I'd leave, I'd be looking for a sugar of insulin to get me home. Oh, uh, I, I'd be a little goofy. Um, but I even had uh, two young, I'll say early 20s medics. Uh, I was actually sitting in the position that's in that, uh, that picture. They looked around the door, uh, and, and they had a French accent, and they said, uh, hey, uh, where is the rest of your leg? And I said, it's in the other room. And they go, ah, and they took off. <laughs> so <laughs> I mentioned to my friend, he said, they may be in the wrong job. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so what, what um, age were you when you – you know, started to think, I want to go into comedy, media, you know, that that direction. Well, this all came about for me um, out of 
the amputation really. I had gone to a radio station when I was all of 18 mm-hmm. and I tried out, I gave them a, a, a voice recording sample uh, when you still had to push two buttons down on the recorder. Yeah, uh, I'm not giving away any secrets about. I'm old enough. Adjust. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember <laughs> that too. So yeah, <laughs> the mic was plastic. Um, anyway, uh, I never got a call, and during my service, mm-hmm. I was up up north uh, and uh, in alert. Uh, uh, Canadian Forces Station alert, which is 800 kilometers away from uh, the North Pole. And we had an, a weekly uh, radio station, and I had a great time doing the show. So fast forward to April 19, 2005. I had just come back from being up north. I just had my motorcycle put away. I was near the base. Uh, I was out uh, on the first ride of the year uh, with two other motorcyclists. Uh, we're doing the speed limit. There's no jacking around uh, one of the ones that we were with is was a safety instructor or the senior one so we're not displaying any bad behavior we'll say mm-hmm. and uh we were going around a long bending right hand turn and after doing my tour with afghanistan and going up north there was a dodge truck out of its lane um, and what i didn't know that dodge on the side of that truck were instructions <laughs> and, and, and i didn't <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> I took the truck head on um, and uh, what ended up happening is my knee got caught between the engine and the front bumper. Oh um, my gosh. Wow. Uh, I, did, I did have a passenger on the back. He was 11 and weighed about as much as a bag of chips. And I tried to throw him off before we made contact, but that didn't quite happen the way I wanted it to. He sustained 43 breaks in his leg and he's got a, a plate in his hip and he's got a, um, I think it's a wire mesh thing holding his kneecap together, but he's a crate, but he's a crane operator in his early twenties. He just, God love him, got married here in September. He's got a great girl. He's got a great job. Um, and so through my process after losing the leg and going through rehab and, and I like to say the military gave me a medical release. So they, they gave me the leg and then they gave me the boot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. And, um, but this gave me opportunities to engage with the media. And I've done TV interviews and I've done radio interviews and I've gotten involved with the, the pair sport organizations. In fact, I was down in Annapolis in, uh, uh, I'm just trying to remember, in February, March at the outdoor game between uh, the Capitals and um, the Toronto Maple Leafs. We played against Mm -hmm. the Wounded Warriors. I was the captain of the Canadian team. Uh, We came out with a respectful 8-5 loss to a team that had been together for five years. Uh, However, the Maple Leafs got beat (laughs) (laughs) 8-1. So we were the Canadian team of the day, really. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, this has been um, uh, been growing. And then uh, when I left the military, I was fortunate enough to get a job in the public service. Uh, I got hired on there because I had a medical release from the uh, from the military. But I got to the point in the cubicle, and for those who work in them, um, my sympathies go out to you huge. 
I got right. to, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, and um, I had gotten word from Veterans Affairs that I qualified to take vocational rehab. And I said, okay, here's the opportunity. And uh, I made the application to the school. I went to the interviews and they said, yes, you can go to school here. And then I went back. <laughs> then I went back and said, okay, here's my plan. Oh, um, we have to test you. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> no, no, this is my plan. No, no, we have to test you. So anyway, I went through the process. They said yes. And uh, like you said, currently I'm uh, in school at 52 uh, yeah, with, okay. with, a, with a fine group of individuals. If any of them are listening tonight, love you lots all. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I went to school with a woman in her 70s who had only had a seventh grade education, and she was taking one class only. Um, thank, thank goodness for Southern Cal or for California, the state of California, because you don't have to have a high school diploma in order to go to community college. So she took a class to um, be able to write her life story to her 12 kids and her God knows how many grandchildren and great grandchildren. So it's never too late to go to school. I, I would almost think that she'd have to put that in a digital format because who's going to sit down and read a book? I know. Yeah. This was many years ago before social media and the internet oh. and all that. Yeah. Oh, this is when I was okay. in my twenties. <laughs> I don't uh, know if, if a, a woman would get, uh, I'm just trying to think of uh, some of the names of the people that you'd want to voice your life, male or female. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, go ahead. How's it been, you know, touring as a stand-up comedian? I mean, that is some tough. Compare that to being on the battlefield in terms of how you feel about yourself on the inside while you're doing it. Believe it or not, um, I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy mm -hmm. it. There was much more uncertainty uh, with us being over there. Um, and, and to put the disclaimer in, folks, um, I worked in food service. Um, my trade doesn't translate to the Canadian, uh, sorry, the American Navy. I've, I've done uh, some stints on some U.S. ships, and they're great. Okay, I had a sure. great time. Um, however, we were the first Canadian ship that was there. We went uh, and followed the USS Bataan uh, down into the uh, Adriatic Sea. And... Uh, so we went by Yemen with them and, and, and all of that. That was the, uh, the uh, aircraft carrier that debriefed the American who had gone to uh, fight with Al-Qaeda slash Taliban. And they had gotcha. captured them and pulled them out there to the, to the aircraft carrier to have a chat. <laughs> I can't imagine it going well. Uh, right. <laughs> exactly. Just a little chat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think they gave him a timeout. Um, but uh, yeah, as I said, there was a lot of unknowns, especially for us Canadians when we first got over there, because uh, we take a bit of a cautious stance to begin with. And uh, it took a little right. while for the rest of the Canadian military to, I'll use the term, kind of catch up to us. Um, and we got into theater somewhere in the middle of October, and then we left at the end of January. 
and okay. we were home by home by February. Made a little stop in Malta. Grabbed some uh, grabbed some uh, coffees in a, a local Western hotel that was absolutely wonderful. And uh, then we came across the Atlantic. And man, was that ever a uh, temperature change! Sure. <laughs> North Atlantic in February versus the Med. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah Med and below. Um, so, uh, I've gotten to see a lot of the world. Um, part of uh, the the thing for me, um, and had we'll say contributing factors to my diagnosis with the uh, post traumatic stress disorder, and what I see, and this is all on me, I'm, I'm not pulling this from anybody else. Uh, those of us who joined the military, um, they, from what I can see, they want us to be engaged. Uh, I don't want to use the term drink the Kool-Aid, but drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. And we're family. You know, we're not a civilian anymore. We're, we're military and you're family and we're going to take care of you. And then when an injury happens, whether it's service related or not, that's going to trigger your release. Then depending on how your relationship is with your family of origin, and you can tell by the way I use that term family of origin, um, you could have that feeling that you've been kicked out of two families. Right. And, and then you have to process that. And usually, uh, especially for us in Canada, it's going to trigger you leaving a geographical area so you're now do not have the same friends the same support system you know you may have your nuclear family with you you know your wife kids and all the rest of it which is great don't get me wrong um but now you're learning a whole new language um i went to the public service from the military and let me tell you there is one large uh language change <laughs> that right. goes on um, you're not using the volume of colloquialisms we'll call it um mm -hmm. during your work day in a mixed gender environment in the public <laughs> service <Right. laughs> that's Very. the best way i can put, yeah <laughs> yeah the, the, that's the best, the best pc can, way to put that yeah yeah um that's so as i said you 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 know and it's usually the the negativity uh, that spurs on the change. Um, you know, you can't say that. Mind you, to be fair, I was kind of getting that in the military. You know, Eric, it's not what you said; it's kind of how you said it. It's right. one of those. If I had, if I had a nickel for every time that happened, right. um, I could have stayed home and paid for school. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how did? Some. Yeah. How did you? Um, you know, what, what was the reasoning behind you, um, people saying that to you, even, you know, in the military, what, what was going on there that, um, you know, that that came up? Well, it's, I am kind of a matter of fact kind of guy. Um, mm -hmm. I don't use a ton of language to get to the point. <laughs> right. So some, my emails were like an encyclopedia. Got it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> if I can use some sentence enhancers to uh, drive home the point of what action that I want and how I want it done, not that uh, not that it really was needed to be done a lot, but if it had to be done, I could do it. Um, mm -hmm. 
and I was and a bit of an adrenaline junkie. I'm not saying that everybody in the military is. There's there's a few of us, and it's uh, trying to go into those situations, and it, it kind of I'll say suited me. So I was a uh, use for a stimulus for change. If there's something that needed to be looked at or or implemented or something, I would kind of get thrown into the fire and relish or languish in it quite happily. Gotcha. Yeah, that doesn't work. If it's getting too much in a military environment, then you know it's a problem. And then you bring that to, <laughs> to a civilian environment and it's really a problem. Yeah, I can, well, I can see that. As I said, everybody kind of stands back at that point. But I've gotten to a place through, I'll say, utter years and decades uh, going through therapy. Um, I've, I've uh, battled addiction, and, and, and luckily enough, I've been sober since January of 05 after I started my journey in 98. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. I took a, I took a six-month breather, we'll say, to learn some more. And I figured out that I was right the first time. Um, but I can use, I can laugh about it now. Yeah. You know, there's not, there's not a ton of shame behind it. There's not a ton of guilt behind it anymore. Um, and that goes for, I'll say for the most part, most days, all of it. Um, I got Good. bad days, the same thing as anybody else, but I can laugh about these things and it's common themes with everyone. Um, right. so as I said, it's, it's getting up and engaging the crowd and, and trying to come up with a common theme that we can all have a giggle about, uh, whether it's the fact after 30 some odd years with a marriage that the one thing that drives you up the wall is that your wife doesn't put the lid on the toothpaste after she uses it. And you right. had friends that just got divorced over something like that. <laughs> and everybody goes, yeah. over toothpaste? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, I that know. Could I, <laughs> <laughs> I, we do a lot of shows about relationships. We did long-term relationships, and we did uh, we did one this week that was astounding. And all of the things that you think and you're told it's supposed to be, and so you walk into it in a kind of a fairy tale, and then you realize that is no. Th this is called getting to work on your issues, and here's your mirror. <laughs> yeah, um, and I wonder who is finally going to uh, put the suit, uh, bring it up against Walt Disney's empire <laughs> between uh, Snow White oh, yeah. and every other princess. Cinderella, Sleeping yeah, Beauty. Oh, yeah. It, it's such a disservice. Oh, my oh, God. 
it's yeah. horrible. And, and and even, you know, uh, with uh, Sleeping Beauty, he kisses a girl that's sleeping. Yeah, he'd be in jail. Boom, right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You wake up with somebody's tongue down your throat, there's questions to be asked and maybe cuffs to be put on. I watch right. YPD a lot. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, uh, but no, um, I am, I, I've gotten to this place and I'm comfortable enough with, my, uh, with myself that I don't mind standing up in front of crowds. It's probably one of the easiest things for me to do. Um, mm. Being in a crowd, however, a <laughs> little bit of a different story. Um, I, I do get, you know, I'll say a little worked up, a little nervous. Um, and that's, it's because, uh, or what I figured out, it's because of the, once again, unknown factor. You've got no control over where anybody's going and you're trying to plan a route through something and it's not going well. Um, and so you're not in control. And yeah. That's what the pills are for. <laughs> Social anxiety. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, you know, and a lot of it's funny. People always think um, comedians are extroverts. And yes, many of them are. And many of them are not. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, you it's very different being on stage and commanding that stage than it is being at a party and with a bunch of people and, you know, uh, now I have to be social um, and I don't have control of the conversation. So yeah, it's very, and a lot of comedians are struggling with addiction. Um, it lends itself actually to um, addiction, mental health or mental health issues, um, yeah. all kinds of things like that. So which is, I've learned this, which, um, you know, uh, for me, taking a genetic test uh, and having some brain scans and things like that done where my dopamine is uh, not firing properly as well as my serotonin. So I am perfectly primed to be an entrepreneur because being a risk taker um, helped me uh, juice up my dopamine to a level that was at least tolerable where as if maybe it was you know I may I might not have even gone into this career if um when I was 27 if I if everything was firing properly so you know um, you have to look at things like that too why would someone get out on a stage and try to make people laugh that is that is risk taking behavior there could be some brain chemistry there that's not um you know not quite firing properly <laughs> Well, and as I said, welcome to the worlds of adrenaline junkies. Um, yes. But then you put yourself in a great big jackpot where you don't know if you're going to be able to cover the rent and somebody else yeah. braces and and you're throwing up and can't sleep for days and you don't know why. Uh, right. <laughs> gee, I, I just I just leveraged everything that I own. Why am I upset? Right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I know when you said you it took so long for them to give you a diagnosis of PTSD. I, that was shocking to me, but you know, I know I'm in this field, so yeah. it's just shocking to me when I hear things like that. Cause I'm like, and I know the time timing was different than it is now, but I'm like, um, I would think everyone who <laughs> goes through, you know, any kind of military service during a wartime would be automatically diagnosed with at least 
some form of even temporary PTSD? Um, not necessarily. And uh, I happened, the public service job that I got was at Veterans Affairs Canada, but I wasn't working in the client-based end of it, really. Mm -hmm. um, but I did attend a few meetings, and what's happening is uh, the men and women are getting out. Um, it takes about five years, uh, between five and ten years, before things get quiet. Mm. And then it's, hey, there's something not right here. And right. Not, not until I got a diagnosis did I hear at home, yeah, you didn't come back right. And she just walked off and said, why didn't you say something? <laughs> um, I know. But, you know, she, well, whatever. You know, uh, I don't care. Um, well, I do. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, be, because the addiction, and I uh, was struggling with severe depression when I came back uh, shortly mm -hmm. thereafter. And I was even trying to self-medicate through my own doctor. I said, well, I'm feeling kind of off and I'm having some, some thoughts that I shouldn't really be having. I was starting to get uh, some rather uh, poignant suicide ideation things that were going on. And I said, it gets worse and worse. And, uh, and I said, okay, just put me on some of the antidepressants. Let's, let's just go like one third of what I was getting before and see if that helps. And it didn't. <laughs> and then right. I doubled that. And I felt kind of better, but it didn't work. And then um, at that point, I, I went in and seen the doctor and said, listen, this is what's going on with me. And if, if I don't get any help now, I'm, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Right. Um, and, and once again, as I said, it's the funny little things that happen when you're having these kind of conversations. And I said, it's dead serious. But I am really kind of sarcastic, and it <laughs> yeah. fires at the worst times. <laughs> and, and she, my my therapist, God bless her, cotton socks. She said to me, um, "Do you have suicide ideation, and do you have a plan?" And I know there's a, a checkbox, right? That she's got to go through a checklist. Yep. And it's just the way she asked it. I turned around and said, how much of a plan do you really need? That, I will say to your audience, is the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, they counted my meds for two years <laughs> to make sure that I was stockpiling it. I said, I got a truck and a motorcycle and, you know, I can go down to the Home Depot anytime and pick up some rope, really. Like, how much of a plan do you need? Right, um, right. But it didn't fly very well with the mental health professional that I was dealing with at the time. Uh, but as yeah. I said, I can laugh about that now because I'm here. Um, you know, and once again, does it get bad? Sure. I got friends I can call. Um, but the, the serious part to this is I know uh, how much uh, some people won't tell anybody because that out ends up being the one thing on the table they don't want to tell anybody because if it comes to it they don't want anybody to stop them so as i said it's it is a double-edged sword um but it's trying to draw that out of people before it builds up to that i can't tell anybody and that's when they start uh you know taking care of loose ends and making sure the family's taken care of and doing up their bills and their wills and, and everything else and the next thing 
you know, geez, you know, I didn't know he was that bad. Right. And, uh, and yeah. And a lot of times too, I've, we've had many, many, many people come on and talk about suicide. And one of the things that, you know, we hear often is, and I've talked about my own suicidal ideation, but um, we hear often that when sometimes when someone does tell a friend, you know, this, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Um, that's, high that's like huge awareness time for them to be surrounded by people absolutely um, and not go home alone after a statement like that uh just so many things because uh the uh, getting it you know sharing it like that and putting it out there and the response that you get and then the what you do when you sit home alone after you said something like that can be um, the precursor to someone actually taking their life. Well, and and I did some uh, peer support courses for addiction, and that question came up. Of course, you know what happens if you get somebody who says that, you know, they're they're thinking about suicide that they want to kill themselves. And the instructor at the time uh, gave me a very one of the best answers I've heard for this. You know, it's like the person who asks, the, the, keeps on asking the question about the Good Samaritan during your first day training. You know, what happens if, but he said, um, you have two choices at that point. You can do nothing. Um, and then whatever happens, you're going to have to live with it. Or two, you call 911. They can only call you, I won't use his word, jerk. Uh, if they're still alive and I said, it's perfect. You know, um, you either do one of the two things and you're right. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if I'm going to make that kind of disclosure or I would make the assumption that somebody else made that type of disclosure and the ambulance or the police don't show up for a welfare check, then you say, well, I guess they don't care. Yeah. And there's, there's a last bit right there. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. So how has the response been for you? Because you're not always doing comedy about mental health or addiction, correct? No, uh, but uh, I make no bones about it every day. Um, you've, you know, you may have heard on, on some of the cartoons, you know, um, I won't mention them by names because I don't know if you have to pay royalties to them, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, my mom had me tested. That's that's the joke that I usually go around. You know, oh, you're crazy. Yeah, well, mom had me tested. Um, right. I've got paperwork to back it up. Um, you know, or, you know, people start talking about, oh, we're going to go out and tie one on and, you know, maybe not remember tomorrow. Not more or less at my my age level, but I'm in a class with 19 and, and to 22-year-olds for the most part. So they're still in that experimental phase, we'll call it. <laughs> Um, but, uh, and I think that's, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, and if somebody turns around and asks for my opinion on it, just go do what you want. I can't, or it could, but I don't know if I'm going to end up at it. And I'll probably handcuff me to you. So you better have your plans together because <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to end up at. Um, right. it, it's, you know, even for the addiction end, it's the same thing as, as going to the party and, uh, for anybody, especially with, with beverage alcohol, you know, everybody wants to get together and they can have a few drinks. I right. can't, never could. 
um, wouldn't leave the house if somebody said, well, I have two beer in my fridge. Do you want to go over? No, doesn't make sense right. to me. And then you get the, the guy who's, who's running the party. Come on, you got to have a beer. You got to have a beer. And, you know, if they persist after my, my rebuttals, then I usually end up having to come. Why do you want me to punch you in the face? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean? I said, it didn't happen every time, but it's, it's out there and I really don't have any control or any idea what's going to happen. Mm. But once again, let's do this then. And then they'll call me names and, and then they'll go away finally. And usually that's when I leave. Um, but I have that opportunity and choice now where before if I was drinking, I didn't. Um, I wouldn't be going until everything was gone. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I hear you on that one. How, yeah. how has the response been to you, uh, to you know, your brand of comedy? It's, especially, it's among, especially among men and among first responders. Um, we get along great. Uh, and it's, you know, you can, you can take specifics and say that you're different. Um, at our base, you and I are humans. Me and firefighters are humans. We may have a similar diagnosis, disease, whatever you want to call it. They may have gotten it from something else, or maybe we've shared experiences. Um, what I'm kind of aware of and, and what I've kind of pieced together over my lifetime is, especially with men, I know everybody's talking about men and how bad we are these days. Um, but I think there's, it's coming or it's already here, the crisis with mental health for men. Um, this is why the bad behavior, this is why the assaults, um, I'm not saying that everybody that goes through childhood trauma does bad things. Right. However, you take a look at the ones that are sitting in jail that have committed these crimes. And, you know, I, I, I don't know about the court system down in the States as well, but usually, especially if it's something serious or domestic violence, you know, well, I suppose they're going to tell us you had a bad childhood now. Well, yeah, you just, you don't do these things unless there's some, something there. And, um, but it, yeah. as I said, when, when you've got that kind of stuff going on and you've learned how to keep secrets and you've learned how to be stoic and strong. And then next thing you know, uh, uh, once again, I don't know about the numbers down in the States, but it said 40 to 59 up in Canada. We've got a lot of, of male suicides going on. Now, whether it's, I thought it was going to be better when I got to this age, and it's not. Um, you know, I can't put my finger on the reasons. I don't, I don't do research. Um, that's for the psychologist to figure out. Um, but I would like, you know, for women especially, um, to be able to get uh, get the funding reduced for victims by putting it towards males so there's less perpetrators for victims. Mm. Instead of instead of going, you know, supporting the victims, which I, I'm not against at all. Um, there has to be some type of ebb and flow to this, this problem. Um, but I don't want to see one more person make a decision that's going to impact them for the rest of their life when all it would have taken is somebody to put their arm around them and say, yeah, I know, come with me. Right, right, exactly. That that decision that 
had you crossed the line from being an, someone who was abused to now being an abuser? Yeah, and, and then you get no sympathy. And then you are a bad guy. And you are this and you are that. And there's no coming back. Uh, there's been all kinds of discussions, I'll say, in the comedy world, uh, especially with Co uh, Cosby and now Louis C.K. Is how long is long enough? You know, um, what what actions do you need to take um, to work your way through this? I don't, don't want to say pass it; it's through. Um, you know, what do you need to do? Because this, you know, you're not your, you are who you are. This is the sum of the parts, but it's not all the parts. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, these are, these are conversations we have here often. Um, mm. Mm, yeah, there has to be conversations around men and around women and, you know, women abuse as well. Um, mm -hmm. And, and yes, we are definitely abused. So, Eric, thank you so much for starting um, a conversation with us about all of this. Tell our listeners where you where they can go to find out more about you. Well, I, I do have a website that uh, um, it's Eric E R I C P A Y N E dot C A. Uh, I am on social media. I have uh, Twitter accounts. E R I C T A T A M P. Yes, Eric the Amp. Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't resist. Uh, I have an Eric Kane comedy. Um, you should see when I use that email at a, at a uh, uh, electronic store or something like that. Can we have your email address? And I'll spell it out for them. And then they'll look up at me. And they, I, I'm not allowed to say this. You know, and I'll be in shorts. And I'll just smile at them. What is it? <laughs> um, go ahead, say it. I dare you. <laughs> um, actually, I was going out of a Best Buy uh, computer store up here, and uh, whatever electronic I had, she didn't uh, undo the alarm. And I go through the the, uh, the gate, and the alarm goes off, and she comes running at me. I'll disarm you. And I said, whoa, I already lost a leg. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it right in your tracks. Uh, um but as I said, I'm on social media, Eric Payne, uh, Eric Payne Comedy. You can come in and say hi at any point. Um, I'll say hi back. Uh, <laughs> and, if, and if I can, uh, you know this because you've already seen this too. Uh, I'm trying to put together uh, across, I'll say North America, a, a network of those working in media, TV, radio, print, don't care. If you've got a physical disability, I would like to get a hold of you because I think we should get together and yeah. core resources and experience together. Um, it seems like everybody else has done so, uh, whatever community that you happen to be a part of, LGBT um, or uh, women in general, um, the feminist movement or people of color, everybody's got an association, but we don't seem to have that. And I right. think... I think it's time. I don't care about race. I don't care about gender. I don't care about, about religion, uh, about politics. Uh, I that. don't Just, care. Yeah. You know, as I said, right. if you've got a story, uh, I'm, I'm here to tell you about this and other things. It's worth something to me. So yeah. please share. 
That's why I love what I do, doing the podcasting. <laughs> you talk to amazing people like you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Eric. Not a problem. And I'd thank- love to have been here. <laughs> Good. Thank you, too, to our listeners for tuning into another show on Mental Health News Radio. Without good intentions, I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.